0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, faithful Father, we come before you and lift up our hearts and our voices towards you that you might be able to hear our pleas and requests. Lord, we know that your word is wonderful. We seek that our souls might be able to dwell and keep them forever. Lord, that we see the unfolding of your words, that it gives light. Lord, that it imparts understanding to the simple. And we pray this morning that you would impart understanding to all of us. Lord, that we might be able to know what you went through on the cross for us. Lord, let us long for your word. Let us cherish your word, meditate on your word you would turn to us and be gracious to us in the way of those who love your name. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 32. This is God's holy and errant infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is, the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! They were Striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, Stripped him of a purple cloak, put his own clothes on him, and let him out to crucify him. They compelled a passer-by Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. He did not take it. They crucified him. And divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription, inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. With him they crucified two robbers, one on his right one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with Him also reviled Him. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the Word of our Lord will stand forever. Over the past weeks, we've seen the words of Christ being fulfilled. We're told, Three times in the Gospel of Mark that the Son of Man has come to suffer and suffer many things. And As we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen particularly Mark 10, 34 come to pass. Every piece falling into its place. And this week is no different. Before we get to this passage, I think we need to remind ourselves of something that often when we come to something that is familiar to us we forget and become numb because of our familiarity to it but sometimes when we hear something so frequently we become numb of the emotions which we once felt I know that some people have emotionally draining jobs this can take an effect over time. Some, they cannot handle it. Others learn to deal with it. Others become cold and hard. You can imagine to be a doctor who day in and day out has to stand before that loved one and say something to the effect there was nothing else we could do. For the doctor, this is their daily job. They might have to do it several times throughout a day. But for the person standing in front of them, this is the news which will change their life. A once-in-a-lifetime event. Doctors, just a part of their life. They're, they're familiar with it. Found ways to be able to cope with emotional pain. And Christians, we need to be cautious that we do not stop and ponder and meditate on God's Word. When we read like we just have, Christ was crucified. We might just slip off our tongue. Even in our confession of faith. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. They just flow right off the tongue. But yet, there is an emotional pain which needs to be connected every time we say that part of the confession of faith. That He... God the Son was crucified. He was dead. And He was buried. And then joy comes across our faces when we say, and on the third day He rose again. And when we read passages of Scripture like this, there should be an emotional connection to what we see and read. This amazement of God. And as we see and as we read over this, that we hear of what happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today I hope that we see that as people stand and mock Jesus, He is there dying silent Saving his people from those sins in which they mock him. As people are sinning against Jesus, he is saving them from their sins. You see, first, that the soldiers mocked Jesus. Jesus had been abandoned, denied by Peter, the disciples had scattered he faced this mock trial before the chief priests alone and then stood before Pontius Pilate, who in the end was more afraid of the crowd that was before him than the God that is above him. He did not heed the warning found in Luke chapter 12 that everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But Pontius Pilate was not concerned about Righteousness or justice concerned and moved by the crowd which cried out, Crucify Him. Jesus had been mistreated, not only through the corrupt justice system of the the mock trial of the chief priests, the the crowd-moving trial of the Pontius Pilate, but also that He had been strong-handed like a criminal ever since Judas gave Him that kiss. As the crowds cried, crucify Him. Jesus was silent. We looked at last week that Pilate ordered that Jesus was to be scourged or flogged. Again, we might just read over this passage and just merely think this is just a part of this story. We need to understand this is a form of corporal punishment. This often would actually be the end of a person's life. Many people would actually die from this. Logging. would have this long whip. And at the end of this long whip with all these tails on it were bones and bits of metal which they would fling into a person's back. They would grip hold of their flesh and they would rip it out. this is what jesus christ faced it would cast it down into the back of the criminal chunks of skin would remove be removed and i explain this not that we all feel queasy but that as we glance over and read past this simple sentence in our bibles that it is not a simple thing that is happening do we understand more what it means the Son of Christ came to suffer? Many things. But following this scourging, then they took him then into the palace. and they have before him a whole battalion of soldiers, 600 Roman soldiers, all wanting to have their laugh. And they stand before the author of life, the one who sustains all things by the power of His Word. And what do they do? They mock Him. They mock Him with their words. They mock Him by giving Him this purple cloak, this sign of clothing of royalty and a crown made of thorns which is then placed upon His head and I'm sure not delicately. And they continue to mock Him by crying out, Hail, King of the Jews! They don't stop mocking Him there. They continue down this path. They begin striking Him with a reed, spitting on Him. Mocking Him by pretending to pay homage to Him. Like a group of middle school students who stand over a helpless child mocking and taunting them. He's People, these men, treat Jesus worse than we would treat a dog. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised. Rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one of them who men hide their faces, He was despised. And we esteemed Him not. It doesn't stop there. They continue to mock Jesus. They then take Him to the place where they're to crucify Him and other criminals. He's unable to carry His cross due to His physical condition. They select a man from the crowd. Simon of Cyrene. Luke actually explains that they seized Simon and forced him to carry this cross. Now in this dark and destitute chapter, we see somewhat of a glimmer of light that only the Gospel of Mark points out. This man, Simon, who is from a town called Cyrene, which is located in North Africa, established by the Greek settlers in 630 B.C. And we don't know why Simon is here as bystanders watching Maybe he was a Jew coming to be able to celebrate the Passover. Maybe a merchant coming from Cyrene to be able to sell his goods, to be able to make a profit of selling this merchandise. We don't know. The glimmer of light is not why he is there. The glimmer of light is found in the Gospel of Mark by the mention of his two sons. We're told that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, this might be another thing we just glance over, but it's an important one to understand, mainly because we have no other pieces of information about them rather than that they're the, their father is Simon of Cyrene. So it is long been assumed that they're included because Mark's audience knows exactly who they are. Alexander and Rufus are believed to be Christians who dwell there in Rome. Where Mark is writing this Gospel account to. And they can look down the pew and they can see that there's Rufus and Alexander. As they read through this chapter, they see that Simon of Cyrene, whatever he did to be able to come here, is, has this lasting impact on his family. We don't know all the details of how Simon became a Christian if he did. About Alexander and Rufus, how they ended up in Rome. Wouldn't it be an interesting question to find them? They're in that great cloud of witnesses that we go and behold. See and talk to. Ask them about their dad. Ask them about their testimony, how they ended up in Rome. But now we back to the dark and depressing part. About 9 o'clock that morning, they began piercing the hands of those that were going to be crucified that day. and nailed them to the tree, rose the tree up that they might be able to hang there. They put a block underneath their legs that so they might be able to occasionally lift up their legs and free their chest up that they might be able to open their lungs to be able to breathe. But as the Roman soldiers mocked them previously, now they begin to mock Him with the sign which is placed upon over His head. Crucifixion was not merely just a form of corporal punishment, a death sentence. It was also a a great thing of humiliation. So much so that if you were a Roman citizen, that you would not be crucified because a Roman citizen cannot face that type of humiliation. What they would do is they'd they'd hang people that they might be able to laugh and laugh at them and their life choices that led them to this point. And above every criminal, there was a sign which told them what they were guilty of. This man was a robber. This one was a murderer. For Jesus, their sign even mocked Him. The King of the Jews. Jesus, the invisible the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, hung on a tree he created. He was mocked by his creatures. There was made through him and for him. And as we read this story, we must not merely read this as history, that is it, that something that happened distant and disconnected. that we must, if we believe the Bible, see that this is a personal story. That The man of sorrows carried our sorrows. Isaiah continues in chapter 53, Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We hear about these wounds. We hear about this in the Gospel. And it's these wounds that we are healed. That this punishment is punishment for us. We do not understand that we'll never fall on our knees when we think of our sin. We would also... Never stay on our knees as we worship the one who is pierced for our transgressions. The soldiers mock Jesus. Then the crowd mocked Jesus. The mocking continues. The crowd continues to mock him. as he hung on a cross surrounded by criminals who were there as a form of humiliation, ex- execution, through the slow and painful death of asphyxiation. As Jesus and others hung there, those walking by derided him, wagging their heads. The word derides does not even capture what really has been said. I think a better word actually would be translated blaspheming him. As they mock him by saying, "Uh Aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. The truth of the matter is Jesus didn't need to be saved. He was the one who was sinless, spotless, Lamb of God. But he had come to save them. And in their mocking, they're telling Him to come down from the cross and save Himself. But in coming down from the cross, He would save Himself from death. But they To mock Him would not be saved from their sins. It was staying on the cross that saved those who believe in Him. Out of all the people watching this mass hanging of these criminals and Jesus, the one person who did not deserve any punishment, only Jesus himself but they're the ones mocking him the soldiers mock him the crowds mock him the chief priests mock Jesus now the Roman soldiers probably would have denied the existence of the one true living God the crown sat through and mocked Jesus but the chief priests and the scribes the ones who had studied the Scriptures, who know the middle letter of the Torah, these chief priests who would have made sacrifice after sacrifice of these shadows pointing to the Christ to come. who would have read and actually sacrificed the bulls and goats, seeing the blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins every single day yet when the man the, the the lamb of god is bleeding before them who takes away the sins of the world they do not rejoice over this forgiveness they do not understand the shadow of the one to come the type is no longer there the actual anti-type the one casting the shadow is before their eyes They're not moved to adoration or praise. They're moved to mocking, laughing. He saved others, yet He cannot save Himself. Now in this, we're quite perplexed by what actually the chief priests and the scribes are actually saying. That they acknowledged He saved others. He healed others. Yet, when they're asked questions about why does He have this type of authority? How can He do this? Is it a work of God? They have no answer. They don't even stop there. They utter more profound things on various levels. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. First, you notice who actually what they call Him. Let the Christ. The last time this term was used in the Gospel of Mark was actually at the end of chapter 14. in Caiaphas, the chief priest's courtyard. And he asked, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus responded, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. It is this phrase, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Most Blessed? That actually convicts Jesus of what they say is blasphemy. He has blasphemed us. What more do you need? You have heard this blasphemy, they say. And now, you're mocking Him and saying, You are Let the Christ. They said it was blasphemy. Now, in their mocking, they don't think it is blasphemy. But secondly, they then call Him the King of Israel. Now, it's very interesting because throughout the Gospel of Mark, every other time, He's called the King of the Jews. But now they call Him the King of Israel not just connected to a people group or a nation as Jews might categorize, be categorized under, but now it connects more to the promises of God. The ones who knew the Scriptures did not know the promised Messiah as He died before them. They did not want a man humiliated. They did not understand that this promised Messiah needed to be struck on the heel first. John Calvin puts it this way. For they, not, they ought not to embrace as king anyone who did not answer to the description given by the prophets. But as Isaiah and Zechariah expressly represent Christ as devoid of comeliness, afflicted, condemned, and accursed, half-dead, poor, and despised before He ascends the royal throne. It is therefore foolish in the Jews to desire one of the opposite character whom they may acknowledge as king. For by doing so, they declare that they would have no goodwill to the king whom the Lord had promised to give. But let us, on the contrary, That our faith may be firmly rely on Christ. Seek a foundation of his cross. For in no other way could he be acknowledged to be the lawful king of Israel than by fulfilling what belonged to the Redeemer. Here they are all mocking him. They should have understood what the Christ, who the Christ was going to be and how he was going to come as John Calvin says, they, they didn't want a Messiah to fit that description. But let us not make that same mistake. The only lawful king who fits the description of what the Old Testament prophets say would be the lawful king who fulfills his kingdom. And they mocked him and they ridiculed him. And they asked for a sign that they might be able to see and believe. However, you think of all the signs that they've already seen. It's recorded in the Gospel of Mark and even in the Gospel of John. He raises Lazarus from the dead. What other sign do you need? He taught them in the temple. The one theme that goes throughout all the Gospel of Mark is that seeing is not believing. Actually, one person in the Gospel of Mark who is said to be able to have, believe, to have great faith is actually a blind man. Blind Bartimaeus. Who cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus asks him the question, What should I do for you? The blind man, blind Bartimaeus, says to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus returns, it says to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Your believing has made you well. Actually, the blind man actually has more faith than the people who can see all of these signs and wonders. It's not the person who sees that then believes, it's the person who believes and sees. It's exactly the warning which is told of the parable of rich man and Lazarus. Both these people die, Lazarus and the rich man go up to heaven and they meet with Abraham and they're separated by this giant chasm. The rich man cries out to Abraham and asks that he might be able to have just a drop of water. This rich man says, well, let me go back, let me go back, send someone to tell my brothers about this. They might know that there's this heaven and hell. Abraham explains that to this rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Even if Christ was to come down from the cross that very day, these people who mocked Him would not have believed. For we see actually, as we continue to read, that there's a person who believes and it's one of the Roman guards who, who sees and says, this is the Christ. The centurion who has faith. We also see here not just the chief priests, but also the criminals around him. We're told... In verse 32, passing comment, those who were crucified with him also revived, reviled him. Mark even explains those who are being crucified beside him mock him. Shows really the depravity of the situation. These men are hanging on the cross breathing their last breaths and even through this to be able to struggle to breathe you really you have to lift up all your weight on your legs so that your lungs aren't collapsed that you might be able to speak and in those last breaths what do they do they mock him As they're going through this pain and anguish, they mock this other person beside them who is also going through this pain and anguish. Now Mark doesn't mention one of these criminals who says, well, when you go to your kingdom, remember me. Mark doesn't mention that at all. But in all of this, they're mocking the Lord of glory. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians that there's this secret of what is happening at this time. As they all mock Jesus and seek for Him to come down or to be able to save Himself, laughing at His pain and suffering. But in all of this, it is the opposite that is actually accomplishing the work of God. This humiliation which God had foreordained to be able to come to pass. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 9. For we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man, imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. We cannot even begin to imagine what is happening at this point. They mock Jesus to be able to save Himself as He is saving people of the sins in which they mock Him tell Jesus and mock Him to come down. They do not know that He will come up from the grave. As they mock Jesus for the pain and the suffering, He is taking the pain and the suffering of the death which is due to them. The judgment of God bore upon His shoulders. And here the Lord of glory, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, is silent. As they all mock Him. And with their voices, they should have been worshipping the Son of God. The second person in the Trinity. What do they do instead? They mock Him. Blaspheme Him. is these things, our sins, our transgressions, that Christ is dying. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Let us not grow numb when we read every week that He was crucified. Let us not grow numb when we read the Gospel accounts and we hear of what happened to our Lord and Savior. Let us be moved with emotion by what has happened to Christ, the One who came. As the hymn puts it, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. my contempt of all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice through His blood. Let us never grow numb of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. Thus, we rejoice all the more when we continue reading the Gospel of Mark when we continue in our confession of faith the third day He rose again. Ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of the God the Father Almighty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh, gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that we might not have seen or heard or part of man ever begin to imagine what you had prepared for those who love him. Lord, that the Son of God came and was crucified for us. For our transgressions, our iniquities, that He bore our punishment, took our death. Let us never grow numb of understanding this, that we might rejoice all the more. We know that in His death is our death raised, that we might be able to walk in this newness of life, that we would have victory over death and sin and Satan. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com.